morning, everyone. What a what an incredible night we had last night at the IRC Gala. Raise your hand if you, in any way, whether beforehand in the planning and the evening of, participated in the gala gala in one way or another. Let's get a, a raising of hands and like you were there. Um, those of you who volunteered, let's, Renee was there, Katie was crushing it last night, the whole Griffin household. Uh, I got a picture um, of the Griffin Christmas card that's coming, I'll show that to you in a second. Um, it was such a, it was such a great, great night. Um, and here's a few pictures David Smith took of the evening. Um, I like this one on the left, we've got Mountain Siders enjoying a meal. You got Jen Hicks caught in the middle of a bite, like uh, with her hand there, um, and it was, a, it was amazing food. Um, you can see Brad serving there at the table, which was so great. Um, if you don't know the IRC staff, this is Jonathan Fung, our legal service director, and Stephanie Peralta, and uh, they, they, as well as some of the other legal um, team, kind of led the evening in terms of storytelling and updating on what's been going on. Gene, of course, her development director, really just pulled the whole thing together. It was the way that she always does. Um, some other pictures. Here's the Griffin household uh, and Caleb uh, serving, and it was so fun to see them running around. Um, I think that'd be a good Christmas picture. I don't know, you know? Uh, and then just great food and a great setting, and it was, it was, it was just a lot, a lot of fun. But the, the thing that is always so incredibly meaningful about the IRC Gala is the storytelling that happens of um, stories of clients. And the reason these stories are so compelling is because they are stories that hold the fullness of life, the fullness of, of what it means to be a part of uh, humanity. And so they're stories of resilience, they're stories of great loss and pain, they're, they're stories of love and justice, they're stories of um, being overlooked, and stories of, of being lonely. They're, they just hold all of what it means um, to experience life as a part, as a human being in the world. Um, and it's just bearing witness to, to what God does in the fullness of our humanity uh, is such a, such a gift here. Um, we, as human beings in this room, hold the fullness uh, of life, too, in our experiences. Uh, we are people who hold a variety of experiences and emotions, our own stories, the stories of our loved ones, and the, the gospel story that we're going to look at today is a story very similar. It holds so much of the human experience. And so I want I wanted to kind of paint that picture as we read through this story together um, so that we can have eyes to see uh, just, just all that is held in this story today. And so it's kind of a longer story, so I'm just going to kind of move through it. It's a story many of you have heard, um, but let's move through it. Let's read it and maybe once again for the first time this morning. The story begins, it says, a certain man, Lazarus, was ill. He was from Bethany, 
the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This was the Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil, wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, saying, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. When he heard this, Jesus said, This illness isn't fatal. It's for the glory of God, so that God's Son can be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. Um, this is a story about a family. It's a story about a household, two sisters, a brother. Uh, I was watching... I watch College Game Day most Saturday mornings just in case they can say something about my brother on there and because I kind of like college football. And there was this story of, a, of an athlete from Alabama who was talking about uh, his team being his family. And he had gone through some struggles throughout the season and uh, they always get you with a tearjerker story on, on College Game Day if you haven't watched it. And this one, uh, he, was talk- he had gone through some struggles this year as a quarterback of his school in, in Alabama. And... But, but had this amazing attitude about the whole thing. He's benched and then getting his clock back. And he's, they're interviewing him and he says, yeah, we're like family. Family's an acronym. And uh, he said, forget about me, I love you. Just a caveat, you don't want to be in a family that always forgets about you. That's, that's not what we're going for in the acronym. <laughs> um, but there, there's something about a, a story of a, of a family that's, that, that demonstrates great love for one another. Um, and this story is that. It's, it's two sisters, it's a brother. Um, and peppered throughout just this opening passage, is, this is, it's a story in the context of love. The, uh, the awareness that Jesus loves their brother. I mean, they, they describe him that way. The one you love is not well. Um, at the end, Jesus loved Martha, loved Mary, loved Lazarus. This, this story begins, this, this story of humanity begins in the context of great love for one another. Um, and so this story is about love and what it means to be in a relationship with God. What it means to love him, what it means to be loved by God. And this is this right here, and then one other disciple. It's the only time in John that Jesus has said specifically to love people. So this is an important, important story. It's also a story about glory, God's glory. Um, and Glory, the word for glory in the Old Testament is this word kabod. And so whenever we hear about the glory of God, we're invited to think about the weightiness of God, the groundedness of God's presence. Uh, when we think about glory, Jesus is the incarnation of God. He is the glory of God, God's weighty, grounded presence with us. Paul Tillich talks about God as the ground of being. That, that this loving, grounded sense of being human and connected and God's presence being with us, this is, this is what glory is about. So this story starts in these really wonderful, this wonderful place of 
the context of love, and the context of God's glory. There's another um, little part of this. They, they go to Jesus. Jesus kind of waits for um, some reasons. His disciples are kind of curious about that. Finally, he says, all right, let's go, go see Lazarus. And the disciples are a little worried because of the danger that it might entail. Um, but eventually, uh, they, they, they head back to Judea to see what's going on. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was a little less than two miles from Jerusalem. So many Jews had come to comfort Martha and Mary after their brother's death. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to him while Mary remained in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. So Martha's coming. She's being honest. She's, she's naming what's going on. And she's also proclaiming some faith within her, her sorrow and her, her grief. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Martha replied, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Another one of those moments I wish I had tone of voice. Like, I know, I know, Jesus but that doesn't help me right now. Or, I know. You know, it's hard to know. <laughs> Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she replied, yes, Lord, I believe Christ, God's Son, the one who is coming into the world. And so Martha comes lamenting. She comes with trust. She comes with some hope, some slim, at least a slim slice, maybe more of hope. But she comes lamenting to Jesus. And Jesus shares with her one of the, one of the most often kind of repeated statements about who he is in times of trouble for people. I am the resurrection and the life. It's, 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 it's an I am statement. We've talked about this before, so I won't belabor it, but this, this connects him with the very nature of God. Who, who, who is God in the Exodus? I am. I will be where I'll be. I am with you. I am the ground of being, a context of And so something is different here. Martha is standing face to face with God in Carmen, the great ground is present with her. And so she is in the glory of God, with the glory of God. The story goes on. After she said this, Martha went and spoke privately to her sister Mary. And the, the teacher is here. He's calling for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to Jesus. He hadn't entered the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were comforting Mary in the house saw her get up quickly and leave, they followed her. They assumed she was going to mourn at the tomb. So Martha comes home. Tells Mary that she saw Jesus. Mary, 
and all those who are with her go. They think they're going to the tomb, but they go to where Jesus is. And when Mary arrived where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. No religious language. No justification to Jesus, just honest, raw, transparent. You would have done something different. We wouldn't be here. Mary falls at his feet later in chapter 13. Jesus falls at the feet of his disciples after that. Um, his posture is a familiar one in the Gospels. Deborah, worked through this story earlier with the same posture. So this story, what I want to just focus on for a little bit is it's a story of love. It's a story of God's glory or God being with us. And it's all of those things in a context of grief. This is a story about grief. Aaron Hunter pointed me to this poet when we were talking about this a while back. Thomas Lynch is a poet and he's also an undertaker. And he, he writes, And grief, good grief, we further concur, is something about which we have little choice. It is the tax we pay on the loves of our lives. And like every other tax, there is a dull matter to it. If you love, fullness of humanity, the fullness of what it means to be alive. It's a story of love and a story of grief, and it's all held in the context of God's glory, God's presence, steady, faithful presence with us. Um, grief is sorrow over an experience of, of loss at its kind of core level. And it can be an agonizing emotion, it can be a bewildering emotion, um, and it is inescapable. It's an inescapable part of the human experience. Um, and so we've, we've got grief throughout our, our stories because we're human. Um, and in this room right now, we have, we have the ultimate of grief. We've, we've had, we have had loss and death over the last month different households and families in our church. Um, but grief is not just that either. We have other griefs that, that, that we carry. Um, we can set a goal in life. We can, we, can, we can be about something that we're excited about, and we can fail to reach that goal. Um, and we can experience a, a touch of grief when that happens. Perhaps, perhaps that you, that's you. You've, you've sought out for something, and you've wanted it, and it just didn't happen. Uh, and so we read that. Um, sometimes if we move, if we move to a new city, and we're even excited about that move, and the, the new place that we're going to be, and yet we're leaving a place that was meaningful for us, and that we have memories, we can experience grief within the, in, the enthusiasm and hope that we're experiencing in a new place as well. Um, if we break up with someone who we care for, or maybe more likely they break up with us, and we weren't quite ready for that, um, we can experience grief 
a loss, a sorrow that um, can really cut deep. Um, it can really be painful. Um, we've, we've experienced church grief. There's church grief in the broader city and culture. Um, church is a place where we name our greatest hopes for life and for one another. We name the, the ideals of what it means to be human and how to love and treat each other. Because we're human beings and we have the fullness of human experience, we don't hit those all the time. And so we, we grieve that. We, we can be sad about that. Um, grief has been described at, by, um, by Phil Anderson, who's a spiritual director um, out of North Carolina, as the inflammation of the soul. Uh, I was talking with Caleb about intramural sports before, uh, before we started this. Um, if you've played sports of any kind, you've sprained an ankle, you've hurt a wrist, you've done something that has instantly caused inflammation in your knee or your ankle or you know, wherever. Um, and when you, when you sprain your ankle playing basketball or, or whatever it is, you immediately are unable to do everything that you want to do. Um, what you had hoped for is no longer possible, at least for a short time. And you go through what might be described or has been described as stages of grief. First, you're in denial. Oh, I got this. I can get up. I can do this. Oh, maybe I can't do this. Um, you might bargain a little bit. Well, if I just kind of lay off it maybe for just a couple minutes here, then I can get back out there. Maybe not. You might be angry. Why did you step on my ankle? You over there on the other team? Um, the different stages of grief can, can happen. And, and, and I jest in some ways, but I think it's a helpful metaphor, at least for me, when we think about the griefs of our life. It, it's like inflammation of the soul that needs to be acknowledged, that needs to be respected, um, that needs to be named. Here's some of those, those stages of grief that I won't, I won't talk through. Many of you are familiar with these. But you can almost hear these a little bit in the story even. Jesus not going. Um, he, he uses the metaphor of sleep for death. Um, this is a story of love, of glory, of, of grief. It doesn't help to compare our grief with other people. Our grief is our grief and it matters. It doesn't help to minimize our own grief because, oh, so-and-so has more going on. So-and-so's grief is certainly, is, is certainly you know, more challenging than mine. Mine must not be that big a deal. That's a part of denying our grief. So minimizing and comparing doesn't help. And it doesn't help to compare our own grief like, oh, they're, they're sad about that, but that's not near what I'm going through. That doesn't help anybody either. Um, so allowing our grief to be what it is um, is so important. Stuffing our grief also isn't helpful. 
Uh, one of the great things about this story is that both Martha and Mary just come straight to Jesus and they name what they're experiencing. Um, we use this metaphor when we talked about doubt a while ago, but, but when we stuff our, our grief, it's like stuffing a beach ball, right? You, you put it underwater and what's going to happen? It's going to pop out somewhere, right? And if we stuff it, we, we really have no idea where it's going to pop out. Um, and so whatever we're grieving today, to stuff it is not, is not the answer either. It just ends up popping out somewhere, which is confusing for you, for me, for others around you. Um, and so acknowledging it and naming it is really, really important. And so the story of these disciples, Mary and Martha, um, gives us permission to grieve what we need to grieve, to, to name it and acknowledge it, to feel it for what it is to hold it in a context of love and God's groundedness with us. It's what is so powerful about the stories of the Irish Gal, uh, and it's an invitation to consider our own stories with as much grace and awe as we do those. When Jesus saw her crying, he said, Mary, and the Jews, the ones who had come with her crying also. He was deeply disturbed and troubled. He asked, where have you laid him? They replied, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to cry. Jesus is the resurrection and the life, the ground of being, the glory of God, peace with us. Feels the array of human emotion that we feel is with us in it. Even the one who is the resurrection and the life is deeply unsettled by loss, uh, by death. And he is with Mary and with Martha in that. Um, this is a witness to, the, to us that that some things in the world are not as they will be someday. Some things in the world are just not okay. They're not right. Jesus grieves this loss of his friend. And we're in a world where stuff is going on in the Middle East, and in Ukraine, in our own stories, our own communities. That is, is just not right. And this story invites us to just name that. Um, it's not okay, 
all that's happening. Jesus doesn't give God an excuse here. He just weeps. He just cries. He's troubled. And he, he does it as the resurrection and the life, as one who still has hope. Um, and so, as people of faith, we acknowledge in life that there is tragedy and there is loss, and we name that as not okay, as not what God hopes for in the world. And we also grieve that as a way of hoping for what can be better. Our grief, the grief of Mary and Martha as they come to Jesus, is all, it's, it's like a prayer to the one who is, who is God's glory. Jesus weeps with his disciples. Psalm 34 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those whose spirits are crushed. These friends are, who love each other are grieving together and they're weeping. Um, and so Jesus weeps and we weep, again, as a practice of, um, of sustaining hope. It, if, if we don't grieve, our losses, those things that have changed that we wish hadn't, um, hope is, hope is, is short-circuited. And so we, we grieve and we mourn, but not with those, as those without hope. We do it as a way of hoping for, for something new. Um, Aaron, uh, Aaron Defoe Hunter, she's, on a sabbatical as of late. If you didn't know that, she's working on a book, so pray for her. Um, but she she wrote a little bit about the story and shared an article with me. Um, so I think I'm just going to read that. She says, um, this means that suffering in of itself is not a good. Jesus does not choose suffering. Think of him in the garden, so ready to hand the cup back to the Father. But his compassion is in response to those with whom he has relationship. And so to choose sorrow or sadness, no, I'm not emphasizing the aspects over which we have no control or choice. Um, but rather, um, to choose sadness rather than appropriately rejoicing in our family, our friendships, our gifts, doesn't bear the fruits of love. She's saying, she's not talking about depression in terms of a clinical kind of mental health challenge. She's not talking about sadness that we have no choice over. But she's talking about grieving and lamenting with honesty and openness towards the hope that God does do new things. And so grief is an outward sign our determination to love in spite of pain. Jesus weeps here, but he also weeps with people, with the ones he loves. And it's so great that we're in this story. This is not planned. I'm remembering a retreat uh, a number of years ago, and we're on this retreat, and Tamara was there, and she stood up, 
and she she named this Swedish proverb. And the way she, do you remember what it is, Tamara? Say it for us. Uh, share joy, something to that effect. Share joy, double joy, share grief is half sorrow. Shared joy is double joy. Shared sorrow is half the sorrow. Jesus weeps with Mary and Martha. Uh, another way to say that might be grief shared is grief diminished. Joy shared is joy multiplied. It's a good thing that sharing grief is easy, right? You're supposed to laugh at that. Sharing grief is really hard. Let me, let me say this. I don't know if it's hard or if we're just not good at it in our culture. Um, it, is, it, is, it is clunky to share grief. It can be if we, if we haven't done that much. To go up to someone who's grieving, to name that grief, and then all of a sudden in that space is like some weird need to try to fix it or some weird need to try to like paint it a different color so it doesn't, you know, a, 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 a concern maybe that you're gonna bring something up that somebody is feeling that they don't wanna feel in that given moment. Right? Sharing grief is not always smooth. But grief isn't smooth. Loss is challenging. And so I want to say as a church body, I, I want to commend us. Let's, let's be clunky in how we share grief with each other. Let's, let's be gracious with one another. But let's be gutsy too. If you know someone is experiencing something, just to, just to come up and, and say, hey, I, I know what's happening right now in your life. But, but that, like, say it. Don't, like, say what I just said, but, like, does that make sense? Um, I know Josh. Um, we're feeling much better these days. But I know Josh. Zach moved out of the house. Just say it. You don't have to fix that for me. We're happy for Zach. You know, but we, that was a loss that we experienced. Um, when, you, when, you, when you care for people to name what they're experiencing, just say, hey, I see it. It's grief shared. And, and it's grief diminished. It's support. And let's be a body that like, works on that. Does anybody else have like an example of like a helpful way to name grief? Yeah. It's, it's it's very transparent about marriage. Um, Kurt and I have a good marriage, but we've learned that I've experienced a lot more human suffering in my life more than Kurt has. And one of the tensions in our marriage is regarding my grief and his ability to match to try and match that or something. But it's been a really positive. Um, learning, long-term learning in marriage, <laughs> what it's like to grieve with each other, and when the other human does not understand, or um, it, it's just like, it, it's exactly what you're, for me, it's just like, that's exactly what, what our, our thing has been, and um, there's hope, because it, it's, it's about, like, growing that relationship, 
it's a meaningful experience. Yeah, Deborah. Let's be a church that tries to grow in how we share grief with one another. And, and we've got great stories. I'm not coming down on this here. But it, it just, it's just fun sometimes. Ari shared this with me. She's, she's helping me these days with some like, images. She's going to help me with stories. We're trying to improve the, you know, what's going on up here. Um, <laughs> Simple practices. Uh, inhale. I, I've known grief. That's all of us. Whether it's something exhale. Yeah. Inhale, I've known grief. Exhale, I'm still here. Ground me. Glory of God. Inhale, I can honor my sadness. Exhale, doubt me. Story. We're going to pray together before the kids come. Um, Jesus was deeply disturbed again when he came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone covered the entrance. And Jesus said, Remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man Lazarus, said, Lord, the smell will be awful. He's been dead four days. There's grief we haven't named. It's, it's been four days. They, they might even smell. This is the invitation. 
Jesus replied, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see God's glory? So they removed the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. I know you always hear me. I say this for the benefit of the crowd standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. Having said this, Jesus shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Dead man came out, his feet bound, his hands tied, and his face covered with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Untie him and let him go. We grieve, but we do that not as people who are without hope. This is a story that points to God's newness, the resurrection of Christ. Um, it's a story that says your story, our story, is not finished being written yet. That's what the, that's the stories of the IRC are about. There's these beautiful stories of people who at any time could have, could have put the bookmark in, closed the chapter, and yet for some reason they, they don't and they forward, and the story continues to be written. Um, Leon Fleischer is a, was a pianist. He, his mom took him and his brother to a piano lesson when they were young, and his older brother was taking a lesson, and it just went sideways. It was not what he was interested in. But as Leon Fleischer's mom tells the story, young Leon jumped up onto the bench and began to play with the keys in ways that was um, showed great curiosity and even talent. When he was 16 years old, he debuted at Carnegie Hall as a pianist, and the critics just raved. Uh, and for the next two decades, he was playing piano all over the world. If you would have put a bookmark in his story at that point, it would have been one of just unbelievable achievement. Around that time, he began to feel a sensation, a pain in his right hand and in his fingers. And over time, the pain got worse, and within a matter of months, his career as a pianist was over. He could no longer play with both hands, um, and as you can imagine, there was two years of great sadness and loss because of all that playing the piano had been for him and had opened up in his life because of it. If you'd have paused his life there, it would have been a story of great tragedy um, and sorrow. But he still had music in him, Leon Fleischer did, and so he began to compose music. And he began to, he became a conductor and a teacher of, of music. And he composed and conducted again all over the world because this music was in him and he refused to let the chapter end when his hand no longer could serve him like it had. He also kept hoping though 
He got deep massage on his hand, even when it didn't seem like anything was benefiting. He began to have Botox injections in his hand um, to see if that might do something. And over a long period of time, 2003, he made a triumphant return to Carnegie Hall at 73 years of age and not only conducted and led but played the piano once again. He even released his first CD in over 40 years. There's all kinds of science even around. This is like a, like a nugget of resurrection we're people of resurrection, Willie Jennings says, as, as Christians. We're people of resurrection. And a nugget of resurrection is how we allow our stories to be told by ourselves. Your story is not done. We grieve, and it's real. We experience the fullness of what it means to be human. And there is more to be written. So we grieve not as people without hope but with those who trust the newness of God can be ours and our stories as well. Deborah's got a prayer for us. It's a, it's a prayer that's connected to these scenes. And so what I want to do is invite the musicians back up too. And um, once we're done with the prayer, we can sing until this, uh, the kids come back. Uh, but let's, let's pray together.